Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Passholder's Guide podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm here to share some tips, tricks, and secrets to the theme park capital of the world. You may be wondering, who am I? I am a Florida native, a Central Florida local, and I've been a seasonal or annual pass holder to every theme park here in the Central Florida area. Not to mention I used to work for one. Each show I'll be here to entertain you, maybe even educate you on a particular topic, as well as go over some up-to-date news and announcement at each park. Lastly, we're going to have story time. Those are going to be some cast member, team member, and ambassador stories. Hopefully we can throw in some interviews, some other tidbits, and I can uh, bring you one hell of a show. has been extinct since the Cretaceous period. I mean, this thing is a hundred this thing. Why? It's a dinosaur. Uh-huh. <laughs> you did it. You crazy son of a bitch, you did. Look at this terrible rule book on it. Cold-bloodedness, it doesn't apply. They're totally wrong. This is a warm-blooded creature. <laughs> this thing doesn't live in a swamp. This thing's got, what, a 25, 27-foot neck? A brachiosaur on 30. The podcast. The 32 miles an hour. Pod- podcast? Mm-hmm. You said you've got a podcast? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a podcast. Oh. Put, your, put your head between your knees. <laughs> Dr. Grant. My dear Dr. Sutton. Welcome. To the Passholder's Guide podcast. Alrighty, this episode, we're going to change things up just a little bit. We're going to start by diving into a famous movie maker, one Mr. Steven Spielberg. And if you're questioning why would a theme park podcast dive into, you know, a movie director, 
then I need to invite you to get off the pixie dust and go ride the movies. Our second part, we're going to take a look at uh, what Steven Spielberg helped to create, and we're diving into Jurassic Park land at Islands of Adventure. All this is to help celebrate the grand opening of the Velocicoaster coming June 10th. Alrighty, let's get down to business. My fascination with Steven Spielberg started pretty early in my life. Just about every movie from my childhood was either directed or produced by him. I can remember getting scared at E.T., uh, watching Back to the Future with my dad, and renting Jaws multiple times from Blockbuster. Oh, okay, kids. Blockbuster was a place you could go and you could take a movie home for a night or two. But then you'd have to rewind it and take it. Wait, okay, rewinding is when you had a tape and, okay, okay, you know what? We're not going to go there. It was different than streaming. You had to go get your movies. But I digress. Okay, there were other aspects that drew me into liking Steven Spielberg. I found out he was a Boy Scout. He obtained the rank of Eagle, which is a club I have joined. And it was uh, in Scouts, he was working on a photography merit badge that led him to make his very first movie. It was a nine-minute film called The Last Gunfight. His next movie would be a 40-minute film called Escape to Nowhere, which was pretty much you know, entirely cast by his schoolmates, and it won him his first award. In 1963, he made his first full-length independent film. It was financed mainly by his father for about $600, and it was a, a sci-fi movie called Firelight. So Firelight was one of his inspirations that would help him to create his, you know, one of his major blockbuster movies. You may have heard of it, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1964, Spielberg got a job pretty much as a junior in high school with the editorial department at Universal Studios. So you can see where this is going, but don't get ahead of me. So in 1965, he graduated, and unfortunately his parents divorced. He did move to, with his dad to L.A., which helped him, uh, you know, in the movie-making business, but he tried to attend USC film school and was denied. So... What was that story? Uh, what was it? Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team? Well, Steven Spielberg didn't make it into film school. In 1968, while working for Universal, uh, he got his chance to direct a short film. It was called 35mm Amblin, which, you know, sounds familiar. Uh, the, the vice president saw it, and it was offered him a, a seven-year deal to direct, and it made him the youngest director to sign a long-term deal. He started with television and writing for movies, but it was in 1974 he got a chance to direct a major motion picture. The It was the Sugar Land Express. It was not a huge success, but we got something more important from there. It was his first collaboration with John Williams. You know John Williams. He pretty much made every movie soundtrack that you can sing off the top of your head.
So um, the very next year, they were team they were to team up again, and his Spielberg got his very first you know major motion hit, his uh, summer blockbuster Jaws. That film made everybody fear getting in the water, but it won three Academy Awards and grossed about $470 million. Modern times, $470 million would pretty much mean a flop for, you know, any Marvel movie. But this was in 1975. You know, in adjusting for inflation, that's about $2.3 billion today. So it was a bit of a success. Jaws opened the door for other movies, uh, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was Raiders that brought him together with George Lucas, and his friendship will uh, play a role later, but don't get ahead of me. 1982 brought us E.T., 1984 brought us Temple of Doom, and with 84 we saw the creation of Amblin Entertainment. Wait, wait, wasn't that his first? Oh, yes, his first movie, Amblin. Uh, you know, kind of makes sense. Amblin allowed Spielberg to uh, more produce a lot of the, the other movies that he is famous for, other ones such as The Goonies, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and An American Tale, or uh, Fifel Goes West. Um, a lot of his other you know, notable films, you're looking at uh, Hook from 1981. All important, 1993's Jurassic Park, but we'll get to that one. He set up uh, DreamWorks in 1994. He wanted to make a few uh, you know, more family-friendly stuff, and uh, you started getting cartoons like Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, kids' movies like The Flintstones, Casper, and uh, you know, Sh- he was uncredited, but he helped bring us the Shrek. So... Um, other stuff, you know, beyond the Amblin, but you got 1998's Saving Private Ryan, 2001, Band of Brothers. Um, he's also a producer of Twister, Men in Black, Transformers, and one of my favorites, Ready Player One. But, all right, all right, guys, we're there. I, I know we're going through that list, and it sounds just like a list of rides from Universal Studios. Oh, okay, yes, this is how it all ties in. Now... Supposedly in the early 80s, Universal Studios Hollywood, or Universal Studios itself, was looking to uh, create a a standalone theme park. Uh, They pitched an idea with Paramount and their at-the-time leader, Michael Eisner, uh, to, you know, bring a a park dedicated to, to, you know, just the movies and how movies were made. Um, But the idea was scrapped. Unfortunately, they didn't, they, they need funding. Um. It wasn't be till the the mid you know mid eighties more like eighty six that Spielberg's college roommate a Mr. Peter Alexander who was a former Disney Imagineer was working on a King Kong figure for Universal Hollywood's uh, backlot tour. Spielberg was so impressed that they started working on a simulator for Back to the Future. Now. At the same time, George Lucas was working with Disney for Star Tours and pretty much told Spielberg, you'll never make rides as good as Disney. So uh, their little friendship started a little rivalry, and Spielberg decided he would co-fund the parks with Universal Studios, and that's how we got Universal Studios Orlando. 
Now, Spielberg was one of the biggest creative influences for all of Universal Studios. You can see the rides that, you know, were and the rides that are still, you know, functioning today. And so then some of the newer rides, such as Transformers, uh, the Fifles uh, Playland, and Men in Black are still in operation today. Now, we can pretty much chalk up all of Universal Studios to Steven Spielberg. Alrighty guys, alongside of our dive into Steven Spielberg and how he kind of helped shape the entire landscape here of theme parks in the Central Florida area, I wanted to take you through a bit of a guided tour of the Jurassic Park land. Mainly because we the newest ride here in Central Florida, the Velocicoaster, opens up on June 10th, but I wanted to let you know there's a whole lot to do in just that section of the park. So, Unlike other parks where you go in and go to the left, yes, Epcot, you go to the left, but Islands of Adventure, you go to the right. You're going to make your way through Seuss Landing, make your way through the Lost Continent, and if you can keep from getting stuck in a butterbeer line in the Harry Potter section, uh, then you come to the iconic gates of Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park. What do they got in there, King Kong? There is a lot to do in this section. Uh, we're going to start off with the food section. So first thing you're going to come to is the watering hole. This is a bit of a, a quick serve, you know, mostly beer, a few appetizers and snacks such as uh, pretzels and nachos. Um, they have a few new beers on tap for... Uh, to celebrate the new opening of the Velocicoaster, it is right next to the... Uh, it's going to be the new walkway that connects Jurassic Park to, with the lost, lost Continent. That is right at the entrance of the new Velocicoaster, but we'll get to that. If you're looking for indoor seating, they uh, the first one you're going to come to is Burger Digs. Uh, it's your typical you know, theme park food of burgers and uh, chicken sandwiches. Uh, they're feature uh their main feature on that menu is the casada burger it's uh costa rican inspired black angus patty uh sweet plantains avocado pork belly garlic mayonnaise on a raptor scored brioche bun um i had the pleasure of having this on my last trip you know the research trip i went to <laughs> uh it's uh, pretty good. The plantains add a nice sweetness to the burger. Um, unfortunately, the pork belly is kind of drowned out with the, uh, the mayonnaise, uh, the garlic mayonnaise on it. But overall, still a pretty good burger. Uh, if you're looking for more of a, a sit-down you know, type, maybe dig your hands in, you've got the Thunder Falls Terrace. Uh, it's going to be more hands-on food uh, you know, for the carnivores in the group, such as ribs and chicken. Um, I have not had a chance to eat there yet, but it is on the list of places for me to go. As far as other foods and snacks, just about anything you can think of as, as far as theme park fare goes. Your popcorn, your pretzels, your churros, your turkey legs, you can find it all in this section. 
Uh, Jurassic Park is home to quite a few different areas to go shopping with. Uh, on the side of Burger Digs, you have a uh, one of the main gift shops. Uh, it is upstairs from the new Velocicoaster section. Uh, they have a makeshift uh, gift shop for the Velocicoaster downstairs in that area. Um, your other main gift shop is at the exit for the River uh, Adventure, but we'll get to the River Adventure here in a moment. Um, it's really kind of funny, you know, what, it's a water ride. Uh, and of course, they're going to offer towels and, you know, new clothing and just about anything Jurassic Park style that you could get your hands on. Um, as far as rides in the area, um, the big thing you're going to come to for the, especially for the kiddies, the kiddies, is the Pterodon Flyers. Now these are pretty unique because you have to be between 36 and 56 inches tall to ride that by yourself. Now I know adults are like, wait, wait, I'm, I'm bigger than that. I know me personally, I'm six four. I can't go on it unless you are with somebody between 36 and 56 inches. So I'm probably never going to get on it because my daughter's going to be scared of heights. Now, that uh, the Pterodon Flyers is in the Camp Jurassic section, which is a great thing for adults. It's a one entrance, one exit area. You can let your kids go wild. It is full of caves and slides and maybe a little water area for your kids just to burn off all that extra energy. And so you get a few benches right out front so uh, mom and dad can take their, you know, take a load off. Uh, as far as other rides in the area, I did mention the River Adventure. Now, this is a nice leisurely boat ride, and you know, going through and showcasing a lot of the herbivores of the Jurassic Park area, but in true Jurassic Park fashion, something goes wrong. Uh, it is uh, concluded with an 85-foot uh, fall, and you can and possibly will get soaked on this. I know going on it for my research trip, uh, I did get a lap full of water and a, a nice splash on my shoes. So walking around in wet shorts was not fun, but it's 90 degrees in Florida in the summer. So I dried quickly. Now, other rides in the area. Let's get to the Velocicoaster. Now, this is the latest and greatest in theme park rides. It is... A new style of seating uh, where this ride does have four inversions, but you have a lap bar. You don't have your traditional shoulder harness to lock you in. Uh, it is designed to have a lot of airtime. You get a lot of uh, a lot of time. You're, you think you're going to fall out, but no, these seats are perfectly safe and they're pretty big guy friendly. Uh, now, as far as the test seat is right out front, I did not fit, but... I, there was no way I was going to pass up at least seeing the queue for this ride. Made my way through, sat down, and with a little help of a, a nice friendly uh, team member there, a little shove on the seat, I was able to ride. This ride is another world. It is five years, 65 million years in the making and worth every second of waiting for it. So you are launched from zero to 50 in three seconds going through a raptor paddock. So the raptors are there with you just like they are in the Jurassic World movie. 
Um, now there is a second launch in here is a 40 to 70 mile an hour launch before you go over the main top hat and that takes place in 2.7 seconds so it is exhilarating it is over way too quick but it's a lot longer than you think but all the airtime, all the adrenaline you don't even realize how fast and how long it is um, I highly recommend it anybody if you want an adrenaline rush go for it. Um, it is a different style ride where they're going to make you go through a metal detector before you get into it. It's They're very strict about it. Everything out of your pockets. The only thing you're allowed to keep is your key, your, gear, your park pass so you can get back into your locker. Now once you're done facing the Raptors in the, the Velocicoaster, there is one more section that you uh, can go to. A, you know, the Velocicoaster going up to 70 miles an hour. It's kind of hard to take a picture with a Raptor. When you just head over to the Raptor encounter and get a first-hand experience with, you know, a Raptor up close. You know, one of the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World trainers is there to help you in uh, controlling the the dinosaur a little bit and you know you may even get the uh, clever girl to smile so that is just about everything you can do in the jurassic park land uh is a great way to spend a few minutes a few hours or an entire park day so uh i hope you have learned a few things and you know maybe put a few things on your you know to-do list of uh, places to go rides to go on hopefully you don't get eaten Alrighty, this episode's tips, tricks, and secrets has to do with just you. Take a solo trip, and you will be surprised at what you can see when you don't have this person saying, oh, I have to go to the bathroom, or that person is saying, I'm hungry, or, you know, somebody who made an itinerary that puts you, you mean, oh, we gotta be across the park for this right at this time. It really changes your perspective on, on how you view the parks. You know, you can get that picture that you never would have stopped for before. You can go walk around, see the scenery that you may not have noticed, and and admire the work that the Imagineers and the creators have put into the themings all around these great parks that we have. So take a moment, smell the flowers, get out there for a solo trip. Maybe just a few hours, maybe a whole day. Let me know what you find. Alrighty, everybody, here is your news for the early part of June. Of course, after our last recording, everything at the parks changed. You are now no longer required to wear a face mask when you are outdoors. The indoors during the queue is uh, still required at most parks, but there is some rumors swirling around right now. Uh, my date of recording, we're still uh, end of May recording this, but supposedly Universal is going to drop their mask requirements completely. You will be no longer required to wear a mask in 
indoors or outdoors. Uh, they've also stopped uh, requiring hand sanitizer at the start of every ride. So the team members who are normally there to enforce the, the mask rules are getting reassigned. So that may be signs that, you know, this rumor is absolutely true. Uh, SeaWorld has taken everything a step farther. They're saying that their ambassadors who are fully vaccinated no longer are required to wear a face mask while on the job. Uh, Disney um, is moving towards that direction with everything. They are removing their social distancing markers from all their transportation, and they are starting to seat all rows on uh, rides such as Muppet Vision 3D. Uh, they are doing multiple parties in the gondolas, and uh, they've uh, removed all their distancing markers for the buses and the ferry boats. So that is uh, probably a sign that you know they are upping their capacity and and allowing more people to to gather. You know, uh, other more specific news, uh, Universal is uh, has announced that starting at the end of June, they are going to a $15 minimum wage for all team members. Uh, that is everybody that's already working there, anybody in the future, now we're going to be starting at $15 an hour. Uh, Disney did announce that a few years ago, uh, but it was a gradual progression where Universal goes, nope. About 30 days from now, everyone's getting up minimum $15 an hour. Uh, the Jurassic Park Tribute Store is officially open now, opened uh, on the 27th of May. Uh, it's about perfect timing because, of course, I was there on the 26th of May. So wish I had just gone a day later. Uh, they've also tweeted that Hot Butterbeer is here to stay. I don't. Uh, I believe that was uh, announced earlier this year, but I must have forgotten it. But they have made it official: hot butter beer year round. And that hot butter beer is delicious. I don't care what temperature it is outside; it's worth it. Alrighty, story time. Uh, like I told you on our last episode, I was not going to share any more stories. I have found my first guest. Uh, he is a, a cast member. Um, he works over at Disney. His name is David. And I'm going to share the floor. David, when, I, when you say story time, what do you think about? Okay, so uh, this happened maybe, probably about two years ago, maybe just a little over. So I, I get a call on the radio. And another cast member is saying that there's a guest on the bus that isn't waking up. So immediately I ask him, does he have his phone? Uh, can he try to just wake him up and shake him, whatever it takes? He says he's tried. The, the guest will not wake up. So I said, does he have his phone on him? He says no. So immediately I have to go out and uh, check the situation. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, so I get there. <coughs> oh, sorry. Um, and uh, he already has guests in his area. They're on his bus. So I step on, I ask him where he is, and it's a rather large gentleman sitting towards the front. He did his trip, round trip, didn't drop him off at the resort, didn't know that uh, he was still there, came all the way back to the park. <coughs> <coughs> I'm so sorry. Um, uh, and loaded the next guest before even realizing he was there. So at this time, I'm trying to shake him and wake him up myself. 
At this point, I know he's not getting up and I have to call 911. So I call for another cast member of mine to come and help me. And while I do that, I call out the phone and I dial. I say, hey, I'm a cast member. and Could I be connected to Reedy Creek? They connect me and they start walking me through how to take care of this man. I explain he's not waking up and I'm shaking him. He's not responding to any verbal cues. He's still breathing, though. Like, he's fine. Arms crossed, head down. I don't know what the issue was. As these guests are still standing behind me, I figured at this point the driver was going to... Uh, escort the guests off the bus they didn't <coughs> so <clears throat> i'm there trying to get help over the phone to help this gentleman and i have a grown man in the back screaming at me to uh get them off the bus or get the get the man some help and he's gonna die and at that point i stop i look at them i put the phone down and I just, the, the straightest face I've ever had. And I asked them, who do you think I'm on the phone with? And they just stared at me. I tell them, I'm getting medical advice from a professional over the phone to try and help this gentleman. Could you all please exit and stand off to the sidewalk? They all begin to exit. They all look upset. And as, as, if, I, as if they were children being scolded by a parent. And then I hear one kid Asked the parent, uh, mommy, is that man going to, is that man dead or is that man going to die? It was something along those lines. And all I hear is, I don't know. Immediately, I stop, snap around, get to his level. I look at him and say, hey, hey, buddy, don't worry. He's going to be fine. I'm on the phone with some very important people. and They're going to help me take care of this man. I promise you that. What you just watched, he's going to walk off this bus by himself. And that kind of stopped him. He walked off. And I'm like, all right. After that, it was just wild. My uh, partner finally shows up. And we were trying everything to wake him up, and it's still not working. At this point, the uh, help on the phone tells me that we have to lift this man and lay him flat on the floor. Now, I, he wasn't exactly thin. I'll just say that. He was quite large. And even the partner that I had at the time was big. And he, even he said, I don't know if I could do this. He just got out of back surgery. So we try anyway. I say, I'm going to have to set the phone down. We, and I get his legs. And I tell my friend I'm going to kind of rotate him so that he's laying flat on the chairs first. And then we're going to slide him gently to the floor. And we do our best. I have him by the ankles. He's got him by the shoulders. We lay him down. As soon as we get him to the floor, he snaps awake. Don't know what happened, what caused it. But immediately he's starting to freak out, asking where he is. And I'm down on the floor like, sir, don't worry. You're at Walt Disney World. You didn't wake up. So we, we got help coming for you. It's all taken care of. If you could start off by telling me your name, and I go from there. As soon as that happens, and I'm on the phone with uh, with with the emergency services, uh, I am dismissed by managers, by security, by park managers, by park security heads, and that's it. So I'm thinking, I have all the information for this of everything that just happened. Nobody wants to hear a thing, but the guy was able to walk off the bus himself. I was able to look over at that kid and actually see him like, like it was, it was almost like a, like a veil of relief just went over him. He was, he was, I could tell he was calm again and uh, he was actually, but he was able to go back to his resort without having to go to the hospital. But uh, yeah, that's my story. So you're basically a first responder doing exactly what they're, you know, EMS is telling you to do. And uh-huh. Just, they just wave you off. It's like, all right, you're done here. Goodbye. Yeah, pretty much. Didn't even uh, ask what happened. Like uh, we 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 leave, and that's about it. What part they said, is this out? This was at Magic Kingdom. 
So it's not like they, you know, it was Epcot where he could possibly be drunk, but wow. Yeah. That that is just insane. And some of the stuff you just don't hear and on your normal uh, you know, interactions with cast. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. So That's everything for this episode of the Passholders Guide podcast. Thank you for joining me. I hope I've left you with some tips, tricks, or secrets to make your park experience better. In the meantime, join us on Facebook or Instagram at the Passholders Guide podcast, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button for alerts on the latest episodes. Until I see you again, have a safe time at the parks.